Welcome to the latest installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'm joined by a panel of very experienced tech leaders to discuss an intriguing topic. DevSecOps, how to balance speed and security. Now, before we delve in deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and also your interests outside of the workplace. Soon, would you like to kick us off? Yes, thank you for having me, Jake. And a very, very interesting topic here. Yeah, so I'm Sune Müller. I work for a Danish-based company called ISS, World Services, uh, one of the biggest unknown companies in, in the world, I think, uh, 350,000 employees. Uh, we are embarking a journey, interesting journey here, where we want to build more digital components or digital products ourselves. And as part of that, I have been asked to lead up a, a DevSecOps platform team with a dual responsibility, both providing a a hosting platform for, for containerized workloads in our Kubernetes clusters, but also leading, you could say, the DevSecOps journey, uh, making people come together in development, security, and operations on how we want to succeed from a process perspective. A bit on, uh, on outside my work, I enjoy doing sports, uh, indoor bandy, floorball, whatever you call it, and uh, I have a family, two, uh, two uh, kids and, uh, and a wife. So uh, enjoying uh, a lot being uh, being with family uh, privately. So that's a bit about me. Amazing. Thanks, soon. Moving on to you, Casper. Take it away. Yes. Hello. Um, I'm working as a lead platform engineer for Aya. It's in the fintech industry. Um, Aya got uh, acquired by Mastercard. Um, so, so my main responsibility is being part of uh, cloud infrastructure. Um, where I'm currently on a project called SMA, which is uh, Security Maturity Assessment. Uh, so we're doing a lot of integration work right now. Um, in my spare time, I got two young kids, um, and I train for half Ironmans. Um, yeah, hopefully, I can do a, a full one one day. Uh, probably need some more time for that, but uh, yeah, that's me. Brilliant. Thanks, Casper, and all the best with the, the full marathon one day. It's something <laughs> that I could only dream of achieving. So, yeah, I'll leave that one to yourself. Last but not least, Robert, take it away. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. It's an exciting topic. So I'm Robert Ehrenberg Amundsen, and I'm the cybersecurity lead for Amiga at Red Hat, where I focus on advising the leadership and technical decision makers of our largest customers. Um, I've been in security uh, for over a decade at this point, it's been you know, a long time. And I got my start while I was in the U.S. military. I was a cyber war specialist with the U.S. Marine Corps reconnaissance teams. Uh, after that, I went to work for MASC in the aftermath of their 2017 Apache cyber attack, first as their enterprise security architect, where I helped redesign all of their corporate security strategies and architectures, and then later as their cloud security and AppSec lead during their digital transformation. Um, really passionate about DevSecOps, pen testing, red teaming, so this is going to be a fun topic today. Uh, in my free time, I'm an avid weightlifter and a former boxer. Um, I also have two kids who are taking up most of my time, luckily, and uh, I'm also an aspiring but poorly performing guitarist. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Robert. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. 
If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So yeah, now we've established some some context around each of you. Let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a statement or a question surrounding DevSecOps. So as usual, uh, I'll work my way around the room, ask, asking each of you to pose your question and the reason behind it. Uh, each of you will have an opportunity to give your take on on the situation, but I guess let's start with Robert. Would you like to run us through your question and provide some context behind it as well? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. So my question is uh, to the rest of the members of this panel, what would you say are the key non-technical challenges facing organizations that are trying to embrace DevSecOps? I think very often in my experience, organizations focus very heavily on tooling and embedding security capabilities into their CI/CD pipeline. But from like a former attacker's perspective, most cyber incidents are really the end result of bad decision-making and process. So yeah, my, my curiosity is where do you think we could be applying change or what could we be doing um, and what is holding us back from making those organizational decisions that lead to better security? I can, I, I can start, I guess. Um... So, so we are still very early in, in this process. We are, we're just a, adopting uh, security practices in, in the whole life cycle. But as I see right now, one of our challenges is uh, to have people understand why we suddenly need to have, uh, you know, vulnerability management scanning tools, for example. Um, because the pipelines are getting slower. And, and I think that that's one of the... Uh, non-technical challenges maybe is, is the time here that uh, we suddenly need to have XYZ scannings uh, which take longer time and uh, why is this suddenly being done for us uh, we didn't do it previously um, but as I see it it's, it's you know strengthening security comes at a cost and uh, so, so I guess it, it's just very important to highlight these pros and cons when embracing those uh, setups. Um, yeah. So, so for me, the non, the non-technical part is probably time consumption for 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 using security practices. Yeah, I can I can add on that is uh, yeah you you mentioned yourself Robert uh, what about process the process side of things here right uh, what I have seen in the past is that in some organizations security is is a really small department compared to the size of of, of development uh, and then uh, security uh, just try to 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 follow up and they come with some tooling they deliver it and they talk to a platform team or even the development team try to implement that uh, go away now you did your scanning right but what if then the result of those scanning comes out with medium or high risk issues right where do you go how 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 do you get adoption of handling those right because a lot of developers are not used to 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 work around the security risk right how how do they solve it right perhaps most of, of the developers learn what a sql injection is right but it's it's just the beginning right they are there are always new ways of attacking and then the tooling is doing a good job on on trying to to keep up with that but if you don't have a uh, you could say 
a native uh, way of, of, of working with this risk, you will never scale with a small security department. Or, and, and you will never succeed if you just try to scale by scaling up security, right? Because security will never know exactly what you're trying to achieve. So, so, so one of the things we are doing in ISS is to working closely with a with a security architect who is more moving now into being a, actually a security development lead. Doesn't mean that he has to be in in all teams, but he's actually driving now a a community of uh, of security champions that are not special people or special roles or special uh, positions we hire for, but it's actually finding people in the dev teams that want to do more on security parts, take that championship within a dev team, right? And then try to work with the security uh, lead there and saying, okay, how do I mature in the dev team? How do I handle these topics? What if we need to go to production even if we have a high risk? Uh, and and having a process for getting a risk owner on that and and get a good process on on moving to production anyway, right? So that's some of the thoughts we we are having in in ISS and on how to handle that. Um, fortunately, we have a, a CISO who is very much into wanting to succeed here as well, right? So he knows it's not about manual checks, manual audits. You have to come by this guy that have to look in a report. That, frankly speaking, you can always manipulate manipulate that report in a way where you can get an approval, right? All security are asked to say, yeah, just approve, right? We need to go to production, right? So so put the accountability with the product owner to prove that it's safe. If it's not safe enough, you have a process for how you handle those exceptions if you still need to go to production. That's that's at least some of the, the things we have, have seen so far and try to, to work into. Those are really interesting points, and I really appreciate you bringing both of you know both of you guys bringing those up. So, I mean, Casper, to your point, it sounds like you know lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, and so you touched on this also, like amongst both the dev teams and across the organization of what to do to actually make something secure is really difficult, right? Because security is such a niche topic and such an, like an extra specialization that you know if we're trying to decentralize accountability to a team that hasn't been like prepared to take that accountability on, I think that's a huge impediment to like our ability to, to actually embed security in the process. Um, if I can quickly give like a little anecdote, actually a bit of a story on like somewhere I've seen this because it's it's pretty topical. Um, I was doing a review at one point for a an organization um, that was looking to kind of build this bespoke management platform for cloud native applications and their deployment to them. Um, and this was like their crown jewel of, you know, cloud native development, this was going to be their unified delivery approach and you know, very important bit of infrastructure. And they really cared about it. So they asked, hey, can you come in and actually do a line by line evaluation of the, of the code? Like, We really want to get this right. So I did. And it was really interesting because, of course, they were using SAS scanning, and DAS scanning, and they were you know, validating SBOMs and all the good things you should actually be doing, pretty mature organization. But as I was going through, I saw there was a problem they had actually implemented um, so they couldn't use mutual TLS across the organization because it was breaking everything. It was basically, you know, interconnected microservices, and they wanted to reauthenticate every time the developer moved between services. Um, so what they did was use hash tokens, which is not actually a bad decision, right? Like in it in and of itself. But the way they implemented the tokens and the hashes, they were insulted. So they were really susceptible to like long time to live. They were really susceptible to birthday attacks. So I went to this lead developer and I said, "Hey, like you're really susceptible to birthday attacks." And he went, "Oh, okay. Like what's a birthday attack?" And, you know, what's amazing about this to me is you can fix the problem really easily, just import a salt library, but it's not something that a SAS scanner is going to catch. There's no vulnerability inherent in badly implemented hashes, right? So you might run a scan, you get an all 
clear, you go to production and someone like me comes around and breaks it to pieces. And that's because your development team didn't even know there was an issue to be looked at, right? And so I think so your approach and ISIS's approach of embedding a security kind of expert specialist within that process is really valuable. But I think one of the challenges I found, again, on a non-technical perspective, is that how many security specialists do you have in the org versus how many development teams? Like the scale goes out of control really, really quickly, right? So, you know, even if you have 50, you know, 100 people in your security team, which I, you know, is unlikely for most orgs, how many thousands of devs do you have, right? How can they possibly spend their time scaling and actually reviewing things and, and can they even get it right? So to me, one of the big challenges is actually the way we prioritize value and deliverables as organizations, as leadership, as stakeholders, as, you know, shareholders. Um, we want to get our products out the door fast because they make us money they, or they add value to our organization, you could say. And the faster we get out the door, the sooner we start actually returning on our investment into the product. So I've actually started trying to change the approach a bit and, and change the messaging when I talk to leadership of you know, the companies and say, well, you're looking at value as, as we put X into this and we want to return Y over some amount of time. But you're not accounting for what happens if in year three of your return, you face a cyber attack due to insecurity in this thing you built and you lose 40 times X, was it worth it? Like, did you actually make any money? Did you, or did you just blow time and resources and now you're in the news and it's not great? So, you know, I, I think trying to change the way we prioritize speed versus value um, is really critical to this. Yeah. Yeah, and I, if I can jump in on the topics that you raised there, right? One of them being the security specialist, uh, first of all, it, it will never be a, a solo role. Nobody wants to do that and sit on the side uh, of the team, right? It, it needs to be a developer who also sees it could be interesting to be capable of do secure by design, right? Uh, development, right? That That is not an afterthought uh, to secure your development. It's it's something you can even guide and, and be a... You, you could see a, a mentor for other developers and junior developers on the team to just get in as a native thing, right? The afterthought will never happen. I fully agree on that one. One of the other things I, I personally also want to drive in ISS is that, that, that from a product owner perspective, uh, controlling your backlog, it, it cannot just be a feature. Uh, feature uh, backlog items. It needs to be accountable also for implementing the needing, needed operational uh, resilience uh, items as well as the security items, right? At the end of the day, he will be accountable for that. He might have a majority of, of, of team himself, a development team that doesn't know how to do that, but that's where he has to reach out and uh, get guidance from operational specialist and security specialist, right? Uh, one of my, uh, my experiences in the past was also uh, outside ISS that uh, it always comes second to do the non-functional requirements, right? Because, yeah, yeah, we can do that when we deliver this next sprint, right? But then business are eager to have more features in and so on and so forth, right? And and so if I think it's very much around what you're saying and that touched on, 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 uh, on, on a lot of organization not being aware that being compliant is not for free, right? It's not for free to be compliant, but they were used to that because they saw that in the past it didn't have that extra cost. No, but that was uh, the, the 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 value uh, of being uncompliant, actually, right? Uh, being uncompliant is a lot easier and a lot cheaper, right? But but exactly what you're saying here, Robert, how, how can we uh, talk about that to management so they know that that it just has, has another price? Uh, another attack is not 
an option, right? <laughs> I don't think so, right? It's also a brand image that will, will be hurt, right? And I think there was a lot of companies in Denmark where it kind of spread, right? First we had Maersk, then we had ISS, and then we had, uh, I can't remember the third one just after there, right? That So 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 I think it's it, it's getting more up to speed, but it needs to be ingrained in, in what we deliver and not as an afterthought. I guess it also depends on the, well, sometimes it depends on the size of the companies, right? You're mentioning very large companies. I mean, where I am is a kind of startup uh, where I was at Lego previously, where it was, you know, a different setup. <laughs> but but now it's more, we don't really have security engineers uh, in Aya, but there is plenty in, in MasterCard, right, um, where we get help from them. But, but we also have some challenges regarding the whole implementation of this because either we don't know enough <laughs> or, or it's something we have been enforced to do um, from you know MasterCard side and, and, and then we are trying to implement the toolings and, and so forth. Um, so, I mean, for us, it's very challenging also to, um, you know, first of all, implement the whole DevSecOps approach, but but also how do we handle it afterwards? Um, so yeah. I think that's a really interesting point. Like also from the perspective of smaller companies, right? And or mid-sized companies and startups and every like organization, both through industry vertical and like the horizontal size is, has its own challenges and needs that, you know, one size solution doesn't fit all. Um, I think one of the challenges you really touched on just now is like the idea that you've been kind of forced to implement these things and we get like dev developers don't want to do security. They want to develop, right. And they want to, like, want to do their jobs. And I, and I really like sympathize with that. I think one of the challenges, I think the way we structure our organizations, we don't really like focus on creating a, like a, a conducive culture of empathy. So oftentimes you're sitting in security and I've seen this in both small organizations. I've worked in open source communities. I've worked in startups and actually running one myself as well as in large organizations. And I've seen this across the board. People care about the work that they are supposed to do, right? And not the overall like objective or mission of the organization or even of a project or of a, of a, of a platform. And so I think, you know, if you're working as a backend developer on a specific product team, you're going to go, my job is to build the backend infrastructure for this product, not, hey, my job is actually to create this thing that we're trying to produce for our customers or for our end users. And I find that to be like not something that most organizations do something about. Like that's a leadership failure to me. Um, you know, if I'm, I, I like to use an example of like cathedrals, right? If you've ever seen a cathedral, I'm sure most of you have, they're both functional. People use them for their purposes, but they're also beautiful. They're like works of art, right? Stained glass windows, like these awesome flying buttresses. And that took a lot of disparate specialized teams to put something like that together. You have people who spent whole careers learning how to stain glass and people who've learned how to chisel stone and people who've learned how to like, you know, uh, uh, smith with gold. And like, if I'm, for example, like the best glass stainer in the world and I'm cranking out windows by the dozen and they look amazing and they're beautiful and the light comes through them and there's no window frames up because the carpenters haven't had a chance to do their jobs yet because they're getting held up, like my work is useless. And what I should be doing in that instance is going, hey, can I help you? Can I pick up a hammer? Is there something I can do to move this along? But we don't think that way usually organizationally. We just go, well, then I'll wait for the, the, the window frames to go up. And then we're bottlenecked and then nothing's happening and then we're pointing fingers. And we've forgotten that the point of this at the end of the day wasn't even to make windows, it's to make 
the cathedral, right? Um, for people to use and to look at. Um, I try to take that approach to the work that I do. And when I try to talk to organizations and other team members, like in peers, especially, this is what we should be working towards. And, and that is a, a major roadblock, in my opinion, that has nothing to do with our tech stack. It's how we collaborate, how we care about each other, and how we you know, try to drive towards a common outcome. Yeah, I agree. I, I fully agree on that point, Robert, and, and, and saying come together on your, your main objective, have shared. Yeah, now I'm working in a, a enterprise, right? So we call it KPIs, right? But have, have shared goals, right? Across development security and operation, instead of saying my goal is that the database runs, my goal is that the features are complete, my goal is it's secure, right? No, it's a shared goal we have, and, and, and we need as organization to break down the silos on how can we deliver on that, right? And And, and that's... What I said in the introduction as well, how, how can we potentially natively uh, foster uh, collaboration there, right? And then I agree with you, Casper, uh, when you don't even have one of the functions, then, then it's a tough call, right? Uh, yeah, how, how do we get up to speed? Well, one thing, though, Robert, I, I would like to challenge seeing from, from my last experience here with the latest product we have been supporting in ISS is that I don't fully agree with you that 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 developers uh, still tend to say uh, uh, I don't want to treat security go away. I want to do my job. I think we actually start to see some of our lead developers saying security is part of my job, right? It's not that I have to think up the standards for ISS or or what we do in general, but within my little product, uh, I care about applying the standards in my product or area of responsibility, whether it's in the back end, the front end, or, or how we are ensuring our CI CD pipelines are, are doing the tests that is needed, right? Uh, this about ensuring the CI CD pipeline and the test, we'll, we'll probably discuss a bit more on Casper's question as well, right? But uh, yeah. That's a that's a really fair point, and actually, I'm going to like partially walk the statement back. Um, I think that depends very much on the maturity of your organization and the culture in your organization. So I've seen across the board, I have seen organizations where developers are super interested and they are getting closer to doing DevSecOps, even in like that mentality phase of going, you know what, I do want to champion this. This does matter to me. I don't want to be the guy responsible for the incident. I do want to keep us safe. I have also seen on the flip side that traditional mentality of I just want to get my work done and like mm. do what I like. But also, yeah, and then I, it's I, uh, backed by by managers as well, right? If, if that you see that leadership, I say, yeah, you should focus on the features, right? Exactly. And exactly. that's where we probably also, as I stated in the introduction, we we have the pleasure of actually have the the the, the main functional lead on, on our IT leadership actually agree on they want to succeed in this area, right? So they know developers or product owners actually doesn't gain a lot from escalating this because they will lead to their peers at the management level and say, yeah, but we agreed on making security operations part of of a definition of done, you could say, right? But yeah. Some excellent, some excellent points there, guys. And it's, it's really interesting to see how each of you come at that question and that statement from each of your different backgrounds and organizations, especially with the different perspective that, that Casper brought in with him being a, a smaller company himself. So uh, really, really insightful stuff. And I'm sure the, the listeners really appreciate you, you guys going into depth with real world examples as well. So again, great point on that. Uh, just bringing it back to, to Robert, just to, to conclude that, that kind of statement question that you brought in. Is there anything you'd like to add on this? I mean, nothing terribly much so. I think we've covered a lot of it. I think if I could leave a final message, it would be 
you know, if anyone's listening to this and you have the ability to impact change in your organization, um, it is a combination of caring about the work that your teammates are doing and, you know, being empowered or empowering your teams to truly like own what they've been made accountable for. So if we want to push security into the DevOps teams, then we have to teach them how to do security as it applies to their work and provide them all the support that they need to do that. Amazing. And nicely wrapped up as well, Robert. Um, moving on to the next question. I know soon you had a, a great question to do with DevSecOps. So could you provide your, your question to the group and give some context behind it, please? Yeah, sure, sure can. Um, yeah, my my question was in, in more in the, in the area of 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 how we how we can scale. Uh, what what we see or what I also seen in the past, and when 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 I listen to talks in the community is that uh, the silver bullet seems to be this uh, central platform team, right? They will do the pipelines. They will have the the central hosting platform. They will define if you just deploy in a container, we 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 will run your workload, and there will be one way of of deploying that, right? Um, but but if you don't get a very very high level of automation, which if you are doing that leads to another question on how much tooling do you need and want to build a, a, as an organization, right? But if you don't do that, then then potentially that that will never scale, right? That that you have this central team that have to onboard everyone, and each time there might be a problem with a pipeline or a workload in the cluster, they have to look after it, right? In the beginning, it looks very good, but uh, but then uh, after some time, I, I see over and over again that that it doesn't really scale. We see a backlog uh, uh, grows on a central team and development teams being impatient for for getting things delivered, and then they find their way around. So so in that context, uh, my question would be uh, how how. Uh, how do you guys see or have experienced in in organizations you worked with or worked within that that this has been solved, and 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 how how do we how how could we use that kind of experience to to set up for for success from the beginning? Yeah, maybe I, I can start. <clears throat> so we we are kind of in this in the phase where we wanna in, where we are implementing this where teams do not require as much support from us because I would hate to be this organization, uh, well, this team where we need to uh, click the approve button for everything. Like, uh, I really don't want to be in that area. Um, so for me, the dream scenario is where we have, you know, we have our infrastructure's code fully tested. We have in our pipelines, we have uh, OPA policies checking if you are allowed to deploy XYZ, we, uh, and we have some uh, compliance management, for example, in our case, it's Azure policies that 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 checks uh, uh, is this compliant or not. You know, so, so when we have we have the different things implemented, but we don't have it mature enough, where we cannot, you know, step away from the from approving stuff, because I, ideally, at least in my mind, if if we have all the unit tests for, or integration tests for for both the app code and the infrastructure code, and we we have the uh, compliance management gates, and we have the vulnerability management uh, vulnerability scanning gates as well, uh, then there's not really a requirement for 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 having this uh, DevSecOps team to to press the approve buttons here and there. Um, so so. If that's implemented, then it doesn't really matter if it's five or fifty teams, um, because we have set the boundaries and and we have 
fully tested what we uh, think of uh, compliant. Um, so yeah, I think that's my take on it. Just a, a quick follow-up on that, Casper. When you talk infrastructure as code, is that then a strategy where you try to to have the development teams and product teams do that themselves because you know your policies on Azure will catch if they do something wrong or if they try to provision a service you don't want to have them? Mm. Is that your approach or is, is you all doing the infrastructure as code for, for I mean, product-specific infrastructure, of course? So so we right now it's a bit of a mix, but but... What we aim to do is having uh, standardized Terraform modules from us. But if other app teams also want to do Terraform, then we need to have some build validation on all our Terraform code. So we have some build validation checks with OPA policies that checks, okay, the, the Terraform code you're actually creating, is that compliant with you know our policies? So, so that will be like the first step for the Terraform code. But but the next step for the uh, implementation is that okay you might do a, a Terraform plan everything is fine with the OPA policy, but on the Terraform apply you'll get you'll get blocked by the Azure policy, that is like the final gate for us before you go into Azure. Um, so that will probably say okay this resource type might not be compliant. So you, you because maybe <laughs> maybe our OPA didn't catch it, but then we have the final step with Azure policy that that says, no, we don't want to have X resource type or or whatnot, or you cannot have this public uh, and so so forth. Um, if if that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, definitely does. So if I can also add something in here, I, I think Suna, you kind of actually touched on part of the answer already when you said automation, right? So one of the keys towards building this kind of scalable and more robust pipeline and, and ability is to, first of all, clearly define what it is that has to get done. So I'm a big fan of providing like a golden path directive or a pattern to follow, right? Um, it's not enough to just go to your dev teams and go make it secure. Okay, like what does that mean for me? And, and that very much changes if I'm looking at the front end code or the back end or the infrastructure or, you know, so actually defining as an organization, like, okay, these are the things that we want you to do. And I mean, to whatever level of granularity you can get to, right? So not just, oh, like run a SaaS scan. Okay, but like, do I want to see, you know, results every so often? What am I going to do with that CSV file when it comes out? Well, once you have a clear definition of what should be accomplished, building that into a strategic, like, order of operations and pipeline isn't that difficult. And then automating that pipeline becomes very clear. Um, the beauty of doing it once is you can then scale that solution across the board. And that's not just in the pipeline itself. You can do that with that you know, secure infrastructure. You go, for example, I'm a big fan of Kubernetes and you have a really well-defined you know, container architecture with security embedded. Okay, well, this looks good to me. I'm gonna roll this out as a standard container image now for the rest of my teams to utilize. And if there need to be changes or tweaks to their own you know, use cases, that's fine. You can always raise an exception or make changes that you need to as your team you know, sees best using their own discretion. But providing that kind of standardized definition ahead of time and automating as much of that as possible through the deployment of both the pipeline and the infrastructure, I think is really the key. Yeah, yeah, and I agree, Robert. Uh, you, you can do a lot of, of, of nice stuff, things, improvements, if, if you can, if your abstraction layer is Kubernetes and, and, and Docker containers and so on, I agree. Uh, as I said in the intro, I, I, we sometimes struggle with, with taking that abstraction layer. It will not fit in our in our company, right? Uh, because uh, many places... It, I saw this good presentation, uh, actually, where, where you said 
uh, okay, being agile and supporting that put a lot of our cognitive load on operations teams, right? And potentially security teams. Now turning it the whole around, just deploy as a container, just uh, apply these policies and so on. It removed the cognitive load, but it didn't remove it uh, from the ops and security team, but it didn't remove it from the organization. It was just put on the developers now, right? And 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 building things in a container, I mean, you can see commercial off-the-shelf products out there saying now they're cloud native because they run in a container. And it's this big monolith running in a in in, in a container that can only scale uh, vertically and never horizontally, right? So so is that really what, what we want to do? And that is could potentially a, a flip side on, on saying everything wants to need to run in a container because then as a developer, you definitely need to understand how do you how do you develop and deploy for, for container-based workloads, right? But then, yeah. Sure, it makes sense. I mean, for what's I'm feeling a little attacked here coming from Red Hat, right? But no. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I, and we are an organization that I'm also gonna, use OpenShift, right? So, so no, yeah, yeah, sure. no doubt I'm gonna, that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get smack around a little for what I'm about to say, but containers aren't always the answer, right? Like, of course not. Um, but what I mean is providing a, a standardized definition of minimum viable security is probably always the answer. And whether that's on a VM or a container or on like bare metal infrastructure, that's kind of the irrelevant bit. How you implement is really what matters. And so it's more about, do I know what I'm supposed to implement? Have I made that clear to my teams? Are they able to do that? And so setting like that minimum viable security product or security kind of like uh, you know guideline is kind of more what I'm getting at. Whether you choose to use containers for that, I of course think they're easy if you utilize them effectively and if your organization is prepared to use them effectively. But if it's not, there's other ways to do this, right? There's always hardened OS just by itself, right? Um, but the real question here is we talk about the word hardened. Do my teams know how to harden this thing to specification um, or not? And that's really the question. And if they know how, are they given the tools they need to do that? And can they scale that? And can they do that effectively every time? Yeah. That's really where I see this breakdown, right? Um, it's usually just, hey, go ahead and make your thing and then secure it. And that doesn't help me at all as the developer or as the security guy who's got to come in later and fix it, right? Because that's always a nightmare of discovery and time wasted and everyone hates yeah. me and, you know. Um. <laughs> yeah. And 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 Casper, to to your points, I I I I I can see similar similarities in our approach, right? Uh, potentially, also when you're talking about deploying to Asia, that's also because I don't know. In our case, it's also because we want. Basically, we don't want to limit uh, the type of services the uh, product product team is is uh, is using, right? We we can never keep up with making sure that that you can use that or that because we will not uh, we'll will never be responsible for over operating. So of course, the team needs to understand what it takes them to operate that, right? Things being a pass service doesn't mean that the operation goes away. It's a different different level, but somebody still needs to to know how to tweak and optimize or scale up or scale down or scale out uh, a database, right? Uh, so so these kind of things, uh, they are still important. What, what yeah, we're also uh, trying, we, we are trying to do the same thing. We try actually to use a, a external module repositories for Terraform and Azure, right? Uh, the, the Microsoft, uh, I don't know if you could call it own, but driven one, right? Uh, but but we also want to drive, uh, drive a, a, an inner sourcing on on things like Terraform, but also perhaps pipeline templates and, and other stuff, right? Where we as a central team will then pick the responsibility of being a, a reviewers and approvers, but anybody in our organization can do a pull request on that repo, right? Or these repos, right? That's that's actually what we would like to do, right? 
because then you could could come in and do that. It could also be an education journey for some of our security champions to try it out, and then you could have some people looking at code and reviewing and peer peer programming with them in that sense, right? Yeah, I think that's also where we want to go <laughs> towards more standardization, but but. Uh, Right now, there's still a lot of freedom. Yeah, maybe mm. I'm already asking my own question a bit here. But in regards to, for example, who, who should create Terraform modules? Um, if it's so open that those teams can also do it, because there are some you know, uh, engineers that are very skilled in, in, in Terraform, even though they are not infrastructure uh, uh, backgrounds. But if we open up for that, then we also need to have the compliance uh, like policies uh, as code in control of, of the whole deployment before it, it goes there. Um, and for us, where it's still not fully stand, uh, where we don't have a full standard on on where to, or, or who who can create Terraform modules, then, then we use, for example, Azure policies where we say, you're allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do, do that. Um, but yeah, it is, very tricky, I feel like, to, to, to how much control we have here. Um, but yeah, we, we can take that during my, no, no. <laughs> my question, no. I guess. Yeah. yeah, 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 sure. But there's also something that we, we are very similar, actually, Casper. I don't want to sound like we solved all these things, but it's approach, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and we say there's something we will always handle centrally. Uh, and, and that's for sure. If if your services need to co uh, co connect to corporate network, then uh, no doubt we need more control on on what you're deploying there for sure, right? But uh, but we also early on took an approach that the only way we integrate is not via private network connectivity, right? Uh, if you have different, so, so we define quite strict product domains or program domains where within that you can use your virtual network in, in cloud. And, and connect things uh, over that private network. But it doesn't mean you have a private network connectivity to your neighbor product or to our legacy platforms, right? Uh, that's where, where our, our, our global uh, integration platform will come in place that you need to use uh, cloud native or, or proper secure the integration pattern that can securely run over public internet. There might be cases you want to tunnel it still, but essentially we want to make sure that that from a security standpoint, that those connectivity are done, right? So to also think we treat and, and, and teach our development teams natively not to expect they can just get a, a, a cable into to a database to do a, a beautiful database integration pattern around the neighbor application domain, right? So, so we also try to, to you can say if they do bad things, they will definitely broke it. But but blast radio will be their own application domain, right? Uh, they they cannot spread into another application domain because there will be no network connectivity, for instance, right? So um, so that's also a thing where we try to balance, uh, and 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 that's you can say you lower uh, lower the the cyber risk score uh, because uh, it's isolated, and and uh, and we also try to to not make the most complex one first, right? We try to, and we are not a bank, right? Uh, I, I need to, to, to say that, right? But we still treat a lot of customers' data, right? So we need to be careful, right? It's, it's still, we have a lot of compliance. It's not the banking compliance, but, uh, but there's still a lot of compliance. And we actually also have banking customers, right? So, uh, so, so there is a lot of things that we, we need, of course, to treat. 
Um, but, but it is, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's the same path we're on here, which I would say, like like you were saying, Casper, uh, and we try to give some kind of autonomy and make people move forward. And then when they have challenge, try to work with them and take them as a step on, on maturing, right? And that's also the only place where they see, okay, now development teams, they don't see that they can just hand over the security responsibility to anybody else, right? So so, uh, so that's also where we see they, they're picking a bit more up on, on doing that, right? But it, it takes a lot. Coming back to your question, right, Robert, it takes a lot on management level to support that and drive it, that behavior natively. If I can just quickly add to that, you know, to actually to both your points at once, it's it's really funny that, you know, I, I keep thinking back to the, the statement you made, Casper, who's supposed to build the Terraform, right? And like, that's part one of the question, then there's who's supposed to secure the Terraform, right? Which is not necessarily the same answer depending on the organization. And I see there's this, especially with, with regulated industries like the financial sector or with, you know, governmental organizations, I see a lot of the time with this push to decentralize security responsibility and decentralized, there's also then a, 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 let's say a shrugging of the shoulders to the definitions of security, right? So it's one thing to go, okay, well, the dev team or the DevOps team rather will be the ones to implement, but then do they also have to come up with the list of controls and the architecture? And like, this will never work, right? So in my mind, personally, you should still have that traditional security organization that CISOs organ. But to me, what it should be responsible for First, very much, you know, first and foremost, very much so like the security operations elements, incident response, forensics, et cetera, if that's something you've you know, insourced. But more importantly, the definitions of, okay, we're a financial organization. We have a set of compliances we have to adhere to, as well as some other technical controls we'd like to meet. Here's what those things are, and here's how we expect them to be met in a certain way. And we will talk about this, I think, when we get to your, your question. Um, but then the actual choice of how to do the implementation, like what is the best solution for that specific team should be left to the team. That also creates the separation, segregation of duties and accountability for that security team to go back and say, okay, has it been done? If they're prescribing and implementing and checking, you have a problem. But otherwise, if they're not doing anything and they're saying, well, just go ahead and you figure it out, that's arguably an even bigger problem, right? So it has to be that balance between, you know, here's where the prescription comes from, here's where the implementation comes from, here's where the validation comes from. Um, and those can't really be the same house so to speak yeah and, and i totally agree on the you know it, it's not necessarily the ones creating the terraform modules that are responsible for creating the in, in in our case opa policies right because in i guess in in the perfect autonomous world if we have all the policies in place then i mean everybody could potentially create terraform modules and 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 implement them i mean that would be i feel like a cool thing to have in a company where it's not you know only a centralized place where okay, you have to use these uh, modules but i mean there's also a lot of challenges <laughs> with having that approach for sure um but yeah really no amazing on. stuff guys yeah really good really good insights again um and i know kind of we've discussed a lot during that question so just you know moving on to to you Casper you was going you did go briefly into your question um and I noticed you you reserved yourself a little bit you didn't want to give too much away there so be sure to just give us all the the full shebang so to speak let, let everybody know what your question is and, and give some context behind it yeah sure so so the question is how, how to balance trust versus control 
uh, when it comes to using pipelines or pipeline templates. Um, so our example is that it's kind of kind of like a startup culture that you know there's a bunch of different uh, Terraform modules. There's a bunch of different uh, pipelines, um, and the application teams have a lot of freedom. But but ever since we we also got acquired, then you know there is a need for standardization, um, because it also becomes very tricky to ensure, for example, if one team have their own pipeline, how do we in enforce uh, vulnerability scanning gates? If you have like a high risk, whatever, etc. Um, so so for us, it's we have very much been in love with this uh, freedom, but we can see now that there's a need for more control and a more centralized uh, place where we have our pipelines, where we have our t uh, Terraform modules and so on. Um, so yeah, it's uh, how, how do we make a balance where it doesn't become like a one department that are just this control uh, mechanism that that you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, we don't want to be this department where we just click approve on everything, or we have to click approve on everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if I can just quickly throw my, my hat in the ring on this one. Um, so this kind of comes back into what I was starting to get into and I wanted to hold myself back on the last piece, which is like for the team and for the pipeline, I think what it really comes down to is how do you balance the trust and and um, security and execution, right? To me, it's that it's that ability to provide a high level like prescription or a pattern for like what good would look like um, to the teams who actually have to do the work. So for example, like as a security team, as a security professional, I might have requirements for what constitutes like a secure API for me and for my organization, right? Um, I might want to see certain types of rate limiting at the gateway, and I want to see it sitting behind a WAF, and I want to see you know different services at the WAF as well, maybe even rate limiting there. I want to see certain authentication mechanisms. That's all well and good. Those should be clearly defined and accessible to the teams. But from there, I don't care if you're using like as an individual team, three scale or MuleSoft or Apogee or Kong or Postman, like none of that matters. Like how you want to do your API management should be up to the team. What having the pattern of the controls looks like for me as a security professional, I can come into any team using any implementation framework and say, okay, this still has the things I need it to have from a capability perspective. So it's getting away from prescribing tools to the teams because no team also wants to have their tooling prescribed to them, right? If, as long as there's not too much of a cost differential. Um, it's more about these are the things you have to do and how you do that is very much up to you and will enable you and provide you the expertise you need to innate, you know, to, to achieve that. Um, but I think it's that it's, it's, it's creating that mechanism whereby no one is in any doubt about what has to be done, but there's freedom of movement to do what you think is the right way to do that within the context of achieving the goal. That also creates overhead, of course, for whoever has to create those patterns or to the teams to make sure they're actually hearing knowledge management. It's not like it's a simple solution, but I do think that that's one of the, you know, starting points. Yeah. Uh, if I'm to to add on that, Casper, I, I think we we are very much on, on on process side of things again, and 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 trusting and 
and teaching people to do the right thing right here. Uh, and then there can be a timeline uh, across that where, where teams need to mature as they adopt more and more of the, the controls and checks we want them to do, right? Uh, I mean, one of the ideas uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to foster is that yeah, at the end of the day, we started out in, in a place where we started to define what your pipeline should do and not uh, creating the pipeline, right? Uh, but but we're also in a limbo where we are still missing uh, some more advanced security tools we want to add to the pipeline and so on. But if, if people are on the right track on, 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 on how they structure uh, their pipeline and as well their, their, their source code repo and, and branching strategy, right? Then, then it's easier for us to come later and say, now you need to adapt that DAST or SAS tool here and here. Here you need to do your container scanning before you can promote it to, to prod and all these kind of things. So, so the whole concept of promotion and build one, deploy many, all these kind of good old uh, things, right? You you can do that in different ways in your pipelines. And, 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 and I agree that's, and what kind of, um, services you do on, on, on the infrastructure layer, as you said, Robert, I agree on that again. Uh, we have some cloud native services that could provide some of the, the, the guards and, and, and towers and, 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 and whistle and all that, right? Um, but uh, but so for me, it's, it's, it's a process thing. What we saw now is uh, the maturity is, is, is low, quite low. So now we also start having the standard and implementing a reference for one of our major products now. And then that's Reference implementation plus uh, the, the the temp template uh, uh, would go into to this inner source repo where people can pull it and work from there, right? Then on the other questions, how are we ensuring that teams are then using that or using the the patterns there? Um, I saw a very good presentation from I think it was Standard Banks a few a few years back, and then it taps into this circle where 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 the three main uh, pillars, uh, Dev, Sec, and Ops, needs to come together around the shared goals, right? And 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 for a product owner to prove he did his job right, he also needs to be able to prove that uh, the, the 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 product is secure enough and it's resilient enough to support whatever requirements come in, right? And from the security side of things, uh, I think security in our organization tried to do a cyber risk evaluation early on, depending on what data you're hosting, if it's internal or also with our customers' data or customer users and all that, right? And and then based on that, not every product is equal, right? So there's some of the product where we can ease down and say, yeah, you can go try to implement that standard. We will come back to you. We may audit you. And there are others where we'll be heavily engaged uh, from from day one and so on. So that's also a bit of a, a balance. But at the end of the day, what I saw that uh, I think Standard Band did here was that they they created some metrics that all teams needed to be able to provide as part of their pipelines. And if your central pipeline are actually capturing these things and putting them in, in some kind of shared repo, for instance, it could even be your observability platform, right? I, I saw that that a technology like Elastic Cloud now have a native connectors to some of the, the major pipeline tools as well, right? So you could have that single pane of glass, not only from a runtime operational perspective, but actually also from a pipeline perspective. So so you could could say, yeah, as a product team, we just deliver, we're transparent at the metrics, 
If you want to audit, look in there. Don't bother us, right? If you have questions, then of course come to us. And if a team is not able to provide that, then it's probably because they are not using your your pipeline methodology or integrating to that uh, that that dashboarding or, or whatever, right? So we we are not even close to that perspective, but it's it's some of the things, right? And then we would also like to do some kind of continuously maturity assessment and and um, and training session with teams on 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 where they are on a DevOps maturity level, right? Based on discussing these things, right? Did you improve from last time in this? Uh, did you succeed in having uh, fewer uh, failures or security risks brought into production and so on, right? Um, of course, there are applications where you simply cannot allow any single thing to happen, right? But there's also others where. Uh, where 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 the where the risk of that is lower, right? And and, it, and I don't think it, it it takes us anywhere if we lose ourselves to say that everything has to be hundred percent, right? Uh, so so it's this. At least that's like some of the concepts uh, we are trying to work with, right? Um, okay. Uh, I, I, yeah. Sorry, Robert. <laughs> I can see you. Uh, I just want to follow up on the like template part because mm. so so initially we had. Uh, some different ideas how we could kind of control pipelines. So one one idea was have a template of a pipeline template. So you know the the the, the template you need to use must have these things. And another idea was uh, enforcing teams to use our pipelines. I think that's uh, pretty standard. I think a lot of you know organizations have it like like that. And then the third one was enforcing teams to call our templates in their own pipelines. And yeah, we, we, we kind of not finalized that part, but I really like the part about having a template for a pipeline template and, and then somehow being able to audit it. But uh, we are not there yet, uh, but it could be, I think it's a cool idea because then you don't have to you know, control and audit as much. You you just trust that people are using your template of a pipeline templates. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, there's another piece of this, and it's no problem, Gasper. It was it's an interesting point, right? And I, I also like that idea of a, a template of templates as opposed to you know, um, you know, just here's the thing and good luck with it. There's another element of this we haven't really talked about yet, and I don't want to, you know, take us too far down a rabbit hole, but we've talked about, you know, embedding security into the pipeline. We've talked about using SaaS scanning and DAS scanning, but like we have to acknowledge that running a SaaS scan or DAS scan doesn't make us secure. It just highlights vulnerabilities. And then there's the whole spectrum of like, okay, now a team has a vulnerability report. Do you know what to do with that report within that team? Like, are you competent on like actual risk contextualization, vulnerability contextualization? So I've seen organizations run a scan get a vulnerability report, and then they freak out because they say, oh my God, I have so many critical vulnerabilities and these are terrible and X, Y, and Z. And the reality is like a lot of those aren't really impactful to your environment. And you know, can you actually take what you see in a vulnerability and put that through the filter of you know, risk being threat times likelihood times impact, threat being made up of threat actors and threat vectors. So really what you're looking at here is, you know, a threat vector, and even then, most vulnerabilities, you know, a scanner gives you the raw CVSS score, you're supposed to go and apply, you know, the temporal and the environmental scores to that. So I always say when you get a CVE out of a report, you have one third of one half of one third of a, of a risk, right? You have one 
third of a score that comprises your attack vector, which is one half of a threat, which is one third of your whole calculation. Are most dev teams enabled to like take that report and do that contextualization rapidly and go, okay, I see this vulnerability, but based on my environment and what exists, this is really what it comes out to because I've done those evaluations for customers and for my own organizations. And I've taken lists of like a thousand critical vulnerabilities and gotten them down to two because that's really what's there. To give a fun example, a uh, real world example, I won't say the organization, but an important one, we can say, ran a vulnerability scan in their pipeline, came up with a list of like 836 vulnerabilities of which like 200 were critical. And the number one that popped up was there was a vulnerability in a package associated to Thunderbird. And I was like, do you guys know what Thunderbird is? They're like, uh, no, it's Mozilla Mail Client. Are you running Thunderbird in this like super top secret disconnected environment? No. Okay, well, then you have a vulnerable library and no, no exploitation vector. So this is a non-issue to you, right? And I, again, I take an attacker's mindset because I come from the background of actually exploiting vulnerabilities. And like, if the gate's not there, the gate's not there to come in, right? So... I just also want to caution, you know, we can have all the tooling in the world. We can put all of the, you know, the scanning into the pipeline, but do you know what to do with the results of the scan? And if the answer is no, start there, like uptrain your teams, enable them, provide them with knowledge, to actually take those results, you know, interpret them and come up with something usable because most vulnerabilities are giving you like predefined checklists of things. They're looking for version numbers. They're looking for known vulnerable packages and IDs. That's great. You do need to do that. I'm not saying don't use a SAS scanner, but I am saying be critical of the results you get, and you have to be able to then apply that to your environment. You know, I always say that security is not really a thing; it's an attribute or a property of a thing. And depending on how you apply that attribute, is how secure you'll be. And to that point, you have to know how your thing works and how bad guys will, you know, interact with it. And I think a lot of teams often know how their environment works. They know how their pipeline works. They know how their infrastructure works, but they don't know how a malicious actor would would attack it. And conversely, a security team knows how bad guys work, hopefully, but they may not have any insight into your infrastructure or your code or like, what have they seen? So it's kind of that meeting of the minds and then coming up with the, okay, I have these tools in place. I have this list of things I have to do. Do I know how to get started with that? Um, and that is purely a knowledge thing, right? There's no tool that does that for you. Um, if there was, we'd all be out of a job. <laughs> so, so uh, follow up on that actually, because because we are we are currently in the face of we just um, implemented SAS scanner and a SCA scanner, um, and so we have these readly scans, and there are like a bunch of vulnerabilities, and and. Right now, we are also discussing a bit. So, who's responsible for handling the vulnerabilities? Is it the, actually the, the DevOps team, or is it the application teams themselves? And in our case, it doesn't really make sense that our infrastructure division is is responsible for handling those because it's more more or less the, the application teams that knows their code better than us. Um, whereas we have seen in other cases where well, if you have a vulnerability, then it's DevOps or BizOps that are responsible for it. But it's like, well, we don't really know their code uh, like they do. So it, it, in our case, we have said it's it's not us, it's the application teams. Uh, so I just wanted to to hear how it is uh, for you guys. What's your perspective on that? So I, if I can quickly just give my answer soon, I won't take too long, I promise. Um, the... Reality is I've seen, so I have the luxury, you could say, of working with tons of different organizations, and I've seen different approaches to this. And what I always see happen is this is where the finger pointing starts. 
it's not us, right? It's, it's this other team that has to do it. And it's security that has to fix me. No, it's the dev team because that's where the vulnerability sits. And no, it's the, okay. So the problem that comes in is, let me, let me like rephrase the question to you a little bit. Should the responsibility for fixing the vulnerability lie with the team that is most able to grapple with a vulnerability or with the owner from a business perspective of the risk wherein that vulnerability creates impact? And to that point, if you have a, a, a vulnerability within your code or in your pipeline um, and that vulnerability is genuine, then you could argue really any way you want to go. So, you know, it could be, oh, well, we have a security team and they know security, so they should fix it. Or it could be, well, it's in your code, you fix it. At the end of the day, what it comes down to me is where have you assign the risk? Who is, and, and the reason I ask that is most orgs also get risk assigning wrong. And, and what I mean by that is when you assign a business owner to a risk, usually it's just the top level person of a function where like the vulnerability is discovered or, or they think the risk is discovered, right? So it's like, oh, it's, the, it's in the code. So it's the head of, you know, at the end of the day, it's the head of applications. But really, risk should be owned by whoever in the org has the budget to deal with the impact if it's realized, right? So if there's a million dollar risk and like it gets impacted, well, you've got a million dollar problem on your hand. Do you have a million dollars to fix it? And if the answer is no, you should own that risk. So to me, the team responsible should come from within the organization that is owning that thing, right? Now, it's fair to say as the team, I don't have the expertise, the skills, or the tooling to fix it. Come and help me. I think that's a very like reasonable approach, and we should be applauding that behavior, not like chastising it. But I think the responsibility should sit with whoever, at the end of the day, is accountable for what happens if that risk goes wrong or that vulnerability is actually exploited. Yep. And uh, and that's actually a great segue for for my comment on that, Robert. I, I think you're perfectly right uh, that that the, the risk should be at the business owner, right? If it's IT for IT, then the business owner is within IT, but that's a, a special case, right? So so fully agree on that. And also because again, coming back to one of my former statements, right? We we forget that being compliant has a cost, right? Uh, that you need investment to be compliant, right? So. So of course, also a business owner needs to understand that part of his budgets goes into making the product compliant, uh, and 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 how we handle it, Casper, in in reality now, and that that's led by this new security uh, architect lead or security lead, right? That that says, okay, I I will take care of that. Our security functions define the policies and 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 what good looks like uh, when something is uh, low, medium, high, and so on. I can have people that can work with with you guys and development teams to solve the issues you found, but you will be the ones responsible for actually solving it in your code. You know where it happened. You know what, uh, yeah. So so you will need to take ownership of it. But but there will be multiple people supporting on it, of course. And that's that's where where I fully agree with you, Robert. And from a DevOps team. Uh, what we play in that uh, triangle is just to say, okay, security have this kind of security tool stack. We have the experience of building pipelines and, and, and creating standards for that and, and, and fit them in in the right level. So we can also verify with, with security teams that come through security tools that they fit good into our pipeline tool stack, our tech stack there, right? That they can provide the metrics in a form that I'm talking about could be in a for instance, shared a repository instead of just a, a dull PDF reports, right? You have to look at manually. That that the output is something you can can also treat automatically and do with behaviors on in your pipeline, right? Uh, that that part we can pick up on, but we will only be the 
be the part uh, implementing that tooling in the pipelines, right? We, we, we will be the ones least aware of how to solve it, right? You could have people on the teams with their past experience knowing it, but that's more like coincidence that because uh, of, of where you're located, right? So, um, yeah, because for me, it's also a bit too easy <laughs> to just say if there's a vulnerability, then it's DevOps. No, no, yeah, 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 I agree. yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes we, we've heard that, uh, like when we start to implement it, well, okay, you have a vulnerability, then, then it's DevOps, you know, they have to handle it. But, but no, it, it's just as much the application, the teams that are responsible for, for handling this, right? And, well, and all, you, all, you, all you did with your pipeline was to, to you can say, uh, uh, make uh, the, the, the issue transparent, right? You didn't create the issue. You just made the development team and security team aware of there was an issue, right? So, so, so that's not the same thing as then you also have to solve it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I do I like this. It, it calls to be compliant. Yeah, I, I like that one. <laughs> I yeah, think part of it, Casper, is no one wants to get caught holding the bag, right? No one wants when when like something actually gets impacted. No one wants to be the guy who gets pointed to and they go, "It was your job to fix it," and you know, oh man, now I'm going on the news and I've got to explain this and my head's getting cut off and you know, so. It's like everyone's playing a game of hot potato with these things because they don't actually want to get caught, you know, holding the thing when the music stops. And that's the wrong way to look at dealing with risk in an organization, right? It comes back to that collaboration piece. Again, I think this is where, and I keep coming back to this, where like a leadership org has to step in and just define. It, it sits with whoever owns it or however it needs to be defined, but make that clear. And then that entity or that organization, or that person that has been assigned, you know, accountability. I'm a firm, firm believer at all levels of an organization. You cannot have accountability for something you are not trained and enabled and, and you know, able to be accountable for. Um, if you don't have the resources or the skill or the budget or the people to actually fix a problem you've been given, you have no business being given that problem, right? And so this is where I think it's a dialogue. So, okay, we need to define in this instance, it would be, you know, the, the business owner who, who owns this risk and therefore the responsibility to fix the vulnerability but if they're not able to do that, we have to make them able to do that, right? And that's the part that also typically gets left off. It's like, it's just your problem now. It's still everyone's problem if that team goes, well, I can't fix it because I don't have you know, security engineers to, to do this for me or what have you. Yeah. Um, or you're not letting me come offline long enough to actually patch my vulnerabilities and therefore I can't fix this. So don't make me accountable when I don't fix it. So it's really that, like, it has to be a conversation, right? That that you may assign accountability, but again, you can only really do that if you've also empowered that accountable organization. Yeah, and and, and leads, leading back to the to the native collaboration uh, between the different functions, right? Not something you set up as a SWAT team when the shit hits the fan, right? People just know, okay, we have this one. We know now in security that a dev team would approach us. Preferable this kind of a security champions that the security team knows has done his utmost already with his skills level, and then he can reach out, right? So you can also have this kind of single point of contact. So it's not like thousand developers reaching security, right? You have some kind of funneling within the the dev teams, right? Because we also see in our onboarding that sometimes people forget to teach each other. Uh, what they learned from talking to us or talking to security, right? So so that's where we where we most likely will have the security champions, probably also have some kind of DevOps specialist uh, or champion 
uh, which role is to apply our standard and come back if there's a challenge with that standard, right? But not everybody challenging it, right? That, that you have some main people. And then uh, a last thing, yeah. Then, then, then yeah, also, yeah. Yeah, so, so I was just wondering, do you, have you guys made some kind of like Raki uh, model for like who who does what when it comes to vulnerabilities or like because I I feel like that's a bit challenging. Uh, that's a challenge right now. We we don't exactly know who should do what. Um, right now it's the application teams we say, but they can always get the help from us, but. I think we don't have this, you know, formalized um, completely yet. Yeah, so that to me, Casper, I mean, I, I, that's a common problem, especially to be fair in smaller organizations. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where like, usually I'm a big fan of kind of a, a combination of top-down and bottom-up decision-making. Um, but to me, this is one of those areas where really clearly like whoever's running the show should step in and go, this is who has this. Like, it, and it should be well-defined. Um, it can only be defined by, you know, the entity that has the authority to define that. Um, but it's actually one of those situations where really purely, I think this is like a top-down decision going, this is how our organization has decided to assign ownership of risk. And like, that's it. There's no, you know, you can have dialogue about this all day long. because again, no one wants to get stuck with it, but Hey, someone has to own it. And to me, this is one of those areas where like, yeah, an executive leader should come down and say, this is how we've chosen to do this. Now, that being said, I like to use that metric of whoever has the budget and some risks are so big, like I've actually seen risks get us into like boards of directors, like shareholders. So using my own former Oregon students as an example, when Montpetcha hit, um, the board had to come out of pocket to fix that. It was such a massive immediate loss of financial revenue that they actually had to come out of their own value and sell shares, right? Listen, you could not have assigned a risk that big down to, you know, like a head of applications or a head of infrastructure. They would have never had the ability to deal with the ramifications. And so no one's exempt from this. It's not like, oh, because I've said it's got to be these people, then it can't be me. You know, it, it's not about department. It's about empowerment, like who is able to actually fix the problem when the problem happens. Excellent stuff. And I think soon you had one more thing to add there. I know. I simply clicked the wrong button. Sorry. Oh, no worries <laughs> at all. Well, well, thanks, guys, again for that. I mean, I think that, that original tangent started with Casper's question. So big thanks for the question, Casper. And then we went down a bit of a rabbit hole there with, with Robert bringing in a, another topic off the bat. So another great rabbit hole and and some really amazing concluding comments from yourself soon as well so um yeah so much insights in in just you know just an hour conversation it's a uh, I, I think you guys could could go all day but um just you know course of the time i guess that's an excellent way to wrap things up unless anybody else does have some additional comments or anything you know maybe one last rabbit hole that you guys want to explore uh, if not i'm happy to to wrap it up there if you guys are too perfect well just before we end the podcast uh, i'd like to say thanks again for the amazing guests we've had on today we've had soon casper and robert all of you have been absolutely fantastic. It's been a great conversation and, and you know it's been a good conversation when I've not said too much as the host. So uh, perfect. Thanks again for doing that, guys. Um, just a note, if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on the podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Jake Stamp. You can find me on LinkedIn or email me at jake.stamp at evolution-nordics.com. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you guys for listening.